Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who Pod. I am Sai, and joining me as always is the other half of the Dalek Dodging duo for this show, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing, sir? Oh, Dalek dodging me. Christ, that'd be an easy target. <laughs> <laughs> I'd I just give up, I think. I'd just be like, you know what? If I'm going to get exterminated, if I'm going to get killed now by this alien war machine, I'll, I'll be fucked if the last thing I'm going to do is be running. Yeah, you know? I don't want to die out of breath after five paces. <laughs> yeah. yeah if, 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 if this is the end of my life, the last thing I'm going to do is not run. I, I, I'm not about that life. Yeah, that's that's maybe, maybe moon it or something just so you can go out with a go on your own terms you know yeah that's it <laughs> uh how are we doing then dan you good my friend yeah i'm good mate i am very good just uh had a nice couple of chill days off watching the uh, uh watching wrestle kingdom because uh, as we always have to drop in on these things we're both wrestling fans so awesome, yeah, it took, awesome. took a couple of days off to off for that funny enough actually uh, fell asleep watching doctor Who earlier today <laughs> so there we go what watching yeah. watching this serial watching what we're covering today no it was uh, it was an old matt smith episode that actually does tie into this episode funnily enough ah, okay. uh, but i'll uh, i'll come to that later i'll take it you're all right yeah 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 i'm good mate i'm good you know same old same old not long finished watching them the tomb of the cybermen from 1967 the story that we're looking at today finished watching it about maybe an hour and a half ago potentially i like to sort of have it fresh in my mind because my memory's awful my memory is so ropey if i leave it for a day i'm not gonna remember what i'm talking about so <laughs> this way at least i can sort of i, I know what, what we're going to be discussing if that makes sense mate yeah I, I finished it at 11 o'clock last night for exactly the same reason and it's mm. just purely because i did it last night because i didn't know if i'd have enough time between wrestle kingdom finishing and us starting but then it, i had enough time to fall asleep so obviously, obviously i did but you know <laughs> when wrestle kingdom's on it's like six seven hours isn't it it used to be they've scaled it back now. Now it's two nights. It's it's four hours a day. So, okay, well, that's know, a bit more reasonable, I suppose. Just it? just enough to justify not going into work. <laughs> <laughs> Fair I, enough. I, I, I booked the leave off before anybody's worrying. I'm not outing myself as a skyrab. Booked the leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just hope that none of your bosses are Doctor Who fans and stumble across the podcast where you're turning around and saying, "Yeah, I phoned in sick, mate, to stay home and watch the wrestling." You know. <laughs> Just dropping yourself right in the crap. <laughs> if I really wanted to, I could have had the wrestling on mute and work from home. But right, okay, nah, not the same, though, is it? It's not the same. Ah, uh, so what we are looking at today is the 1967 serial, The Tomb of the Cybermen. Uh, it's a Patrick Triton story. We have the companions Jamie and Victoria. Victoria is very, very new to the TARDIS, having only joined the previous story where the Daleks killed off some of her family and so on. Dan, so then, as someone who, uh, I suppose the whole point of this podcast is someone who's not seen much classic Who, and it's a big selling point for me of why this this project we're doing is is so interesting. For, for me, at least, having you watch stuff for the, potentially the first time, what are your thoughts on this then? As, as an overall overall look back, is, is it the first Triton story you've seen other than the specials, like the Five Doctors and so on? It is, yeah. Um, but I've seen enough of Troughton in those specials to know that, mm-hmm. I'm, pr- that I'm probably going to like him. So yeah. I went into this with sort of fairly high expectations, but also sort of tempered with the fact that it is 1967. There's going to be things that are of the time, you know, certain aspects, you know, in the way it's filmed and produced and 
the sets and all that, we, you know, that aren't going to be as good as modern day, obviously. And the things we basically mentioned when uh, we did Genesis of the Daleks. Yeah. Where you have to take it with a pinch of salt, realise that things, you know, obviously times have moved on, accept it for what it is and try and enjoy it. And I, I did enjoy this. Um, it's, it's by no means the best thing I've ever seen. Mm. But I certainly don't regret regret watching it. Just if, if I was to give it a numerical value up front, it'd be probably about it's just only like six out of ten. But I enjoyed right, it right. I enjoyed it right enough. But it's not one of my favourite thing I've ever seen. But there was a there was a lot to enjoy and get your teeth into. Um, and I, I want to start just as we always do with the intro. Yes, because I, lo- I love comparing those. It looked like raw shacking blots. And I remember <laughs> seeing something once about how they did that effect, but I, just, I couldn't re- I couldn't find it. Um, but it looked mint, and then. It was the like the ink blot sort of thing and the black and white, but obviously black and white background, and then Troughton's mischievous little face. Yeah, and then you straight into it, but it was very short and sweet, which honestly I didn't mind. Just getting straight to the point. Mm. See, I'm quite happy with, with, that. with regards to the intro. The big thing for me is the music because obviously the, the music is so iconic, isn't it? The the, the, the yeah. intro music is so important to Doctor Who, and they update it and they tinker with it, but it's basically the same music from. 1963 right up to present day just different variations mm. of that track now this is really and again because it is of the time this is really stripped back really basic but it's almost where where it's not got the whole um i suppose want a better term bells and whistles attached to it it where it's not all jazzed up or made more modern it's almost it's almost more haunting for me yeah it definitely is it's um like you said to, to pair it back it's it's lost the sort of orchestral element that it had in the Eccleston episode mm. we looked at. But to me, that's more effective, and I can see why it had been regarded as frightening, you know, back in the day. Because you start out with something like that, it's you know, and then you see Tomb of the Cybermen and stuff that goes on later on. Yeah, it works for me. Because I, I, I love my horror movies. And right. stuff like that, I'm all for. It's, it's, almost, um, it's almost a bit like Theremin-esque, you know, and the, that, like... I, can't, you know, the, I don't want to make a horrible noise down the microphone, but we all know the noise yeah, that they yeah. make with the theremin. There'll be a descriptive word for that. I just lack the uh, lack the intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we'll go with woo. Um, <laughs> that, that's fine. That works for me. <laughs> um, something noted um, online uh, that's that's worth mentioning about this, this particular story is it's the earliest serial starring Patrick Triton. And the only Cyberman story as well from the 60s, they're still available in its entirety after you had the whole tape erasing money-saving exploits of the 70s, I guess, where so many shows, Doctor Who, Zed Cars, all these different programs lost so many episodes where they were erasing old tapes to reuse them. And the fact that so much of Patrick Triton's time as the Doctor is affected by this. I think it's a, I think it's a real shame because the, the first time I came across Patrick Trayton as a doctor is the same as what, is what you've explained, Dan, with the five doctors. I had on VHS when I was a kid and I thought the guy was great. And I'm watching any old serials back. For me, I, I, as you said, you've got to kind of take a lot of it with a pinch of salt because it is, I mean, I mean, this was 55 years ago for crying out loud. So there's a lot of things here that don't really hold up very well today. But one thing that does for me is Triton himself. I think he is just brilliant as the Doctor. Yeah, I really liked it. I mentioned before the mis- uh, his mischievous little face. Triton, yes. I'd seen this in, in the previous, in the specials like that I watched previously. He's got this ability to switch between deadly serious and sarcastic, and then he'll switch to sarcastic and jokey, and, and all, but you're never quite sure which is the real 
Doctor, it feels like one of them's a veneer mm. to the other, but you're never sure which one. But it's, you'll have this air of humour, but then deathly serious, then sarcastic, then and it's just like there's something behind that. Yeah, and I don't know. He's just, he makes him he makes the Doctor a naturally intriguing character with the, with the way yeah. he plays all that. It's he's it's, it's fan, it was fantastic in this episode. Yeah, I mean, eventually, at some point during our first season here, we're going to be looking at a William Hartnell story. And the comparisons that I always see other people make online between Hartnell and Triton is that Triton brings almost like a warmth to the Doctor. He brings, like, at least that mischievous side as well, yes, but he has that kind of a, a bit clunky, a bit klutzy. Uh, there's, there's aspects to Triton's Doctor that make him, I suppose, I suppose to put a basic tag on it, maybe a bit more likable mm. than Hartnell's Doctor, because Hartnell's Doctor at times was very cold and very stern. Dare I say a bit more relatable and a bit more human? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, that's a good way of putting yeah. it, yeah. It's, yeah, because it, it's obvious in this that he, he cares for Jamie and, and for Victoria. Mm. Uh, Jamie's obviously been around for a little bit. Victoria, who's obviously brand new to the TARDIS. Uh, just a little sidebar so I can get it out of the way quickly, get, the, get my childishness out of the way. When okay. Victoria's walking into the TARDIS and the first thing she first two sentences she says are it's so big, what are all these knobs? Um <laughs> <laughs> instant yeah. giggles. Uh, oh, me too, mate. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm I'm already forty one. It's it's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't help it, you know, it's it's like on a previous episode, you know, uh, there's so much of our lives are made up by uh, fart and willy jokes, is what we said in the previous episode. And I think yet again there's another example there. So <laughs> We might have to start doing knob joke of the week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how I go about making a jingle for that. I'll figure something out. Well, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the humor, I guess that you get with Triton's doctor as well is evident with Victoria and Jamie when they start talking about certain aspects of um, traveling in the TARDIS, the Jamie makes a dig about making sure the doctor has a, a, g- a good landing this time, a soft landing as opposed to, or a soft takeoff as opposed to maybe a, a bumpier ride. You don't want to scare Victoria first time round. And then there's the comment about when, when Victoria uh, changes into some more comfortable clothing, I guess, to, to, to be out and about with the doctor. She asks, is the dress too short? Uh, the doctor responds, I won't worry about it. It's no worse than Jamie's because obviously he's in his kilt. Uh, and just, just those sort of little... I suppose little jokes, sort of inside jokes, or you know, just, just gentle ribbing. I suppose between friends, isn't it? I thought it was a real yeah. nice. Uh, uh, the atmosphere from them coming across on the screen felt just felt nice, you know. The relationship between the Doctor and Jamie in this in this reminded me very much of my sort of relationship with my granddad. Because okay. I go and walk, I go and walk his dog every day, and he's a smart bloke. You know, he's getting on a bit now, but he's still like doing the Times crossword every day. And, and shit like that. He's a, he's a very intelligent man. But me and him have little digs at each other, have these little inside jokes that anybody else would think, my God, they speak to each other terribly. But, <laughs> <laughs> and there's just a bit of that here. And it's just that it's that kind of, <laughs> the words thrown around so often, it's lost all meaning sort of in more recent times. But it is that, it feels like natural banter. Yeah, yeah. And it, again, it brings it, it brings it around. It makes it much more relatable and much more entertaining because even though you might not, you know, it, it's a fairly basic joke of a oh, Scotsman in a kilt, it's a dress, mm-hmm. but 
you can tell Jamie's not really taking offence, and it's just a bit yeah. of a. And you know, we, say, we, say, well. we say stuff to our mates that we that we'd probably you know that probably never say in public, but it's fine because <laughs> you mate and you just yeah, shrug yeah. it off. And, and coming from the doctor as well, uh, coming from Patrick Triton at that moment when he's trying to kind of reassure Victoria and so on, and it almost it was just literally just slipped in there, just a little throwaway line, but it really tickled me, just really made me laugh. So yeah, real real early on in the series, in the serial, in the episode, just already establishing the relationships that these characters have together, I think is really really well written. The I mean, we're talking early on in the episode there. We might as well just quickly break down a part, part of the plot that we start with. Effectively, the Doctor, the TARDIS, the Doctor, Jamie and Victoria arrive and kind of interrupt an expedition, an archaeological expedition of people. We're back in the quarry again from Genesis of the Daleks. I don't know if it's exactly the same one, but we're back in another quarry for filming. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, lots and lots of pebbles and stones and dust everywhere. We're back in another quarry. And these uh, this group of people are on an expedition to effectively find the last resting place of the Cybermen, I suppose, is how it's worded on, in one particular scene. The, the, the tomb of the Cybermen is obviously the name of the episode, so that's kind of what they're looking for. They're, they're blowing up sections of the quarry to try and find where this this location is underneath all the rocks. And they eventually do blow up part of it that unveils these doors. And the doors are electrified, and somebody gets zapped when they try to open them. Which, again, you need to bear in mind it's 1967. It's It looks a bit dated. It looks a bit, a bit wobbly in places. But for 67, um, it looks pretty good. Particularly, yeah, okay. the, particularly the explosion in the side of the quarry. Yes, I was, I, was, yes. I was pleasantly surprised by that. I thought that it looked good. The electrocution, yeah, you can call it a bit dated, but yeah, at the, at the time that would have been the sort of the height of what they could do. It's like when we were talking about the the CGI in 05. Mm-hmm. when we did at the, the time. We Dal- yeah. Kind of Dalek, yeah, yeah. So, no, that's, that's a good point. I, I didn't think of it that way uh, with regards to the CGI in in the Dalek episode as being the best they can muster at the time. I'm looking at this in a completely different way, even though it's, it's exactly the same scenario, isn't it? It is the best they had at that, you know, at 55 years ago, I suppose. Or, or potentially a phrase we a phrase we use quite often on UTT. Uh, it was the best they could do for the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I get you. Uh, one thing that did impress me, and I don't know why, if, I don't know if it was that big a deal, but when the doctor inspected the individual who'd been electrocuted by the door, the scars and the burns on his hand, I thought looked great. I thought they looked grotesque yeah. and that they looked, they looked, if I was a young kid and, and that hand got turned over and you saw the burn marks and, and the obvious, you know, pain and, and so on that it, this guy would have gone through when he died. You look at it and you think, okay, that would have shocked me as a child. Mm-hmm. I think as well, they did, a, they did a really good job of sort of foreshadowing that with the music, the, the score up to this point, I noticed in particular was, very sort of tense and almost horror movie-esque mm. in terms of it kept you on edge. There was a lot of strings involved and yeah, just it had me thinking, okay, something's going to happen here. Something's going to, there is something coming. Yeah. And lo and behold, he get, the guy gets electrocuted about three minutes <laughs> later and uh, they don't exactly spend a, long, a lot of time mourning, do they? No, no, they just, and that's something I suppose that kind of runs through all four episodes of this, that the stuff happens I mean, on one on one side of the coin, being four episodes long keeps the story moving. I think it, we kind of we kind of fly through a lot of stuff in that time. It's quite a fast paced tale over these four episodes, but also 
sometimes it's like you want them to stop and take a breath. And when people are getting killed, when the Cybermen, uh, sort of, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, when the Cybermen are attacking people, they effectively just take a deep breath and recover very quickly. You you'd imagine there to be a bit more concern or a bit more worry, I, I suppose, but they kind of go from one moment to another without, uh, I suppose, if, if, no better term can pop in my head using a wrestling term, I guess, without really selling what's happened previously. If, if Does that make sense? Yeah. Did you pick up it, on that as well, or is that just me? It, it does to a point, yeah. Um, there was, they see a lot of death mm. in a very short space of time. They have to deal with the fact that, again, jumping ahead, they have to deal with these with the Cybermen coming back to life. They have to deal with the Cybermats. They have to deal with the fact that the rocket's being repaired. There is a hell of a lot going on. Yes. And part of me wonders if, because there's so much going on, that they don't really have time to take stock. But then, you know, so the adrenaline's constantly up and they've got to think, what do I do now? Right, I've got to do this. I've got to go out of this script. I've got to go out of this script. I've got to do this, do that. But there, there are times when certain characters do have that moment to take stock and it doesn't really register. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're constantly looking into the future and thinking, oh, you know, Kaftan's just on with the plan, and she, which, fair enough, her character will not care that people have died. Mm. But Victoria's more worried about what's going on under the hatch and with the Doctor and with Jamie, which, yeah, fair enough, but you've also just watched about, by this point, about five people die. Mm. The only person whose reaction kind of makes sense is Viner. Because he, but then he's panicking all the way through. He's panicking before there's much to panic about. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> almost like he's almost like the complete opposite of what we're saying about the other characters, isn't he? Because he's he's almost hysterical all the time, you know. Uh, to, to a stage where I, I was, this is going to sound quite harsh, but I was quite glad when he got killed off because he was doing my head in, you know. <laughs> I, just, I know exactly like, what you mean. Yeah. Just like, calm, calm down a bit, fella. Do you know what I mean? You're in this situation. Okay, there's Cybermen. There's this. There's that. It's not very good. You, you're probably gonna, you know, probably gonna die at some stage along this way so i understand your panic but just wind it back a touch buddy come on you know you're not being helpful at all here i wanted them to use the old trope where somebody slaps him in the face and he just calms down instantly <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're hysterical <laughs> <That's Yeah>. what... <laughs> just queue up to take turns like in family guy just <laughs> oh yeah just, like five or six cybermen behind as well just slapping him <laughs> because they've had enough as well <laughs> uh, you speak there of uh the character viner and we have a group of characters here that effectively make up the cast and make up the uh, the expedition, I suppose. You have, um, I'm going to butcher some of these names, no doubt, but you have Kaftan, who is yep. the very wealthy lady who is financing the expedition. You have Toberman, who is her, we'll say assistant, but we will cover what they call him later on. A very large, strong gentleman who is Kaftan's assistant. We have Klieg, who is the other party that's with Kaftan and is quite an expert apparently on the where they're going and the information they have and very much part of the the plan to revive the Cybermen. Uh, and then we have he's your basic he's your basic character who's there to be the smartest one in the room until the doctor gets there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I get you. Um, and then we have basically the, the rest of the crew that is taking Kaftan, Toberman, and Klieg where they need to be. So you have Captain Hopper who's flying the rocket to take them to the planet, and then various faces who are part of this archaeological group, this expedition that is that is digging them or blowing up, I suppose, the, the pathway to where they want to be. And then, of course, the Doctor, Jamie, and Victoria joins them. 
Now, we mentioned Toberman briefly there. Quite early on, we can see a few issues where this was 1967, but watching it in 2022, it's a bit awkward. He's literally the only black dude on the screen, and he's referred to as servant and slave throughout the show. Yep. That's that's a little uncomfortable now. But at the same time, when you actually go online and you look at some of the, the reviews for for that time, it, you can see things in the Radio Times and so on where, where people are reporting it back in the 60s and saying it was a bit awkward back then as well. Yeah, which is very telling. <laughs> mm. Isn't it really? I mean, I think what... No, yeah. So that time... It's it's hard to put into context because when it's been reported as awkward in 1967, it, you know it's going to be un- very uncomfortable in 2022. Yeah. Um, but it, it's one of those things that can't really be justified. But without Turberman, the story doesn't really work. No, that's right. By the end of it, he plays it. He, he's referred to as slave and servant and all that. Mm. But he ends up, spoiler alert, ends up being. <laughs> one, of, one of if not the vital character i love the way we do that i love the way we declare spoiler alert when we're talking about a show that's yeah, 55 si, years old <laughs> si, I, I am renowned for watching movies for the first time 25 to 30 years after the air so there's got to be someone out there worse than me <laughs> I, I would imagine so yeah i'd imagine so we kind of go into the the first room after they got the, the doors open, the electrified doors. Now, apparently the guy who died, he was very unlucky because there was only a certain amount of charge in these doors and that amount of charge was used upon him. So everyone else could just stroll on by now. So very, <laughs> he's, very convenient. He's, he's very unfortunate. So they get through these big doors. Toberman has to open them for them because they're huge, heavy, massive doors. You know, And Toberman is the, the hired muscle. So they get into this, the first room there, I guess, is it would be a way of con- control room. Yeah. And there's a couple of doors off this control room and there's there's a hatch. And the hatch is going to play a massive part throughout the whole series, the whole serial, sorry, all four episodes, because down this hatch is the tunnel that takes you into literally the tomb of the Cybermen. Uh, and other little rooms off it as well don't get me wrong but that's kind of the primary point that you know traveling from a to b into this into the tomb so to speak uh victoria ends up well it's not just victoria everybody they, they all sort of split up and go off exploring together they're all very 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 quickly they're accepting of the doctor jamie and victoria and, the, and they divide them they divide those three up as well and everyone goes off exploring and then everybody sure. just decides i'm gonna start pressing and p- buttons and pulling levers with no care or attention, just literally just, uh, and you've got like um, the, the the more intelligent people, I suppose, the Doctor and Cleek, both saying, just leave everything alone. You know, don't don't get carried away. Leave things be. Uh, um, we'll sort of survey the situation. Everyone else is like, nah, sod that, mate. And they're just pressing buttons and putting levers everywhere. Yeah, this shit looks cool. Let's do this. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was very much like... <laughs> It was very much like the Doctor and Cleek trying to control a toddler's birthday party. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think um, I think part of, part of the reason they accept the Doctor and his companions so quickly is because the Doctor very quickly surmises that the man who tried to open the doors wasn't electrocuted, but in fact had the all the electricity drained from his body. Right. I've just read that in my notes. Uh, okay. So, so I thought it was just a charge thing as well, but the, he actually had the electricity drained from your body. If you have the electricity drained from your body, your synapses can't fire, so your brain shuts down, which, fair enough. Okay. Um, it was at this point I sort of clocked that Cleeg and Kaftan, what Cleeg and Kaftan were going to do. <laughs> it was just, it was so badly telegraphed. It was, it was very much, here are the bad guys. Yes. 
But yeah, um, very much so. When they get in the tomb, the doctor obviously figures out. Um, he figures out part of it, and you know gets the doors open. And Clee uh, <laughs> gives it. How did you know that? He said the doctor says I use my own special technique. Said, Could you tell me? Tell us what it is. He says I keep my eyes open and my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that. That was a that was another moment where I just thought, man, Triton's so good. That was excellent. Yeah. We come across a Cybermat in this show as well, in this series, for the first time. Have you seen these before, Dan? Uh, very good, Sarah. Not to uh, not to pull the curtain back too much, but I did mention to Sarah I was going to bring these up. Um, yes, I have, and it was just today that I found out what it was. Where, Sorry, where it was. It, the Cybermats turned up in New Who, I believe only in the one episode, and it was one that gets overlooked quite a lot because it, it's not the best. But looking back, it's entertaining enough. It's, it's an episode called Closing Time, which was okay. towards the end of, uh, I think, Matt Smith's second series. Sorry, I'm just checking. Yeah, it was Matt Smith's second series. Episode called Closing Time, where he, he revisits a character from his from Smith's first series, who's played by James Corden. Now, I happen to think that James Corden is completely insufferable. Yeah, as, I'm a, <laughs> as a TV presenter, he's all right as Smithy. In Gavin and Stacey. I can just about get on with him if I imagine this guy who's playing called Craig is like Smithy but grown up. <laughs> oh, I remember this episode now you mention it. Yeah, I was kind of yeah, in my brains it, trying to think of think so of um, James Corden in this show, but I couldn't picture it. But now you're saying that, I've got it, yeah. Yeah, he's done two episodes. Uh, the first one was The Lodgers, uh, The Lodger or something like that, where um, there was a, a, an alien trying to recreate a TARDIS in the flat above his. This right. is in this is in the future, so the doctors sorted all that out. He's come back to say bye, basically, because the doctor's going to die. So he's on like a farewell tour. He notices something's wrong, and he starts working in a in a shop in a department store uh, near Craig because he's trying to find out what's going on. And it turns out it's Cybermen who had crash landed hundreds of years ago. Then the department store was built on top of it, and they started siphoning power and sending right. the Cybermats up to basically hijack people and bring them down for cyber conversion. Mm. So after spending most of the day wondering where have I seen Cybermats before, I flick on a random episode because I've just been watching through Smith again, and there it is, Cybermats. How funny how that worked out, the coincidence there. Why? Yeah. Okay. Victoria ends up stuck in what effectively is a box, isn't it? Let's be fair. <laughs> when, they're, when they're running around pressing buttons and, and clicking levers and so on, she ends up in effectively like a, a, a cardboard cutout of a body shape, which is supposedly to help the Cybermen um, recharge power, I guess. Uh, we find out later on in the episode is one use for this. And it's just, it's just another example of why can't people just leave shit alone? You know, just <laughs> <laughs> you never walk off in horror movies on your own. Mm. You never say I'll be back or I'll be right back. Yeah. You never poke around the sciencey thing in an abandoned tomb where somehow the lights are still on, as Jamie points out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was something else about the tomb as well. It's they've blown this boulder or, or or rockery or whatever away from from the front doors. When they actually get to where they've blown away. It all looks very clean and neat and tidy for somewhere that's just been blown up. Then when they enter the tomb, they're saying that the Cybermen have effectively been extinct, but kind of in hibernation, I guess, for at least five centuries. Nothing's dusty or anything, is it? Nothing's dirty. Everything's quite pristine, considering that they've been locked away and, and nothing else has been in there for 500 years. 
Simon Matt's double as Roombas. Ah, okay. They've been nipping around with a duster. <laughs> once, yeah, once every uh, once every fifty years, just uh, have a quick switch round. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> mate. That makes sense. I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> uh, due to a couple of people dying, the poor fella who touched the, the the gates, and then somebody else getting gunned down by what looks like a weapons training section or a trial for, for trying out guns and so on mm. someone gets gunned down there the expedition is going to be abandoned due to the deaths people are saying that's it we're gonna the, the main guy is saying we're, we're calling it off two people have died we shouldn't be here and we find out then that someone or something has damaged the fuel lines on the rocket so they can't leave the planet mm. now correct me if i'm wrong here dan because I, I very possibly could be maybe i just missed it but did we ever actually find out who damaged the rocket? Yeah, it was Turboman. Oh, okay. He um, he took some order from Kaftan, where she said, "You know what to do," or some you know something vague along those lines. Oh, <laughs> and then he right. came back. He was he was supposed to stay with Kaftan and Victoria. She sent him off to do whatever. Victoria never questioned it, and then he turns up a little while later. You know, they give it all. Is it done? And just nods and yes, I'm pretty sure it was Tobin that uh, that sabotaged the rocket. We also okay. see. I didn't pick up on that. And I, when when Captain said, "You know what to do," I assumed that she was telling Tobin to go and bump somebody off. She's going to yep. go, go and kill someone. And then when he came back and they said, "Is it done?" and he said he nodded. I was like, "Well, who's he killed then?" And that confused me. <laughs> but you, what you're saying makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's what he did. Um, the uh, the doctor also uh, reveals to Cleeg how to uh, how to open the hatch, mm. and we get one of the prime examples. And this runs right into modern Who as well, where the the writers have the doctor string together a load of sciencey sounding words that could be right, but for all anybody knows, is complete and utter bollocks, mm-hmm. because he gives it. <laughs> Cleek's not nowhere near to, to a solution to get the, the hatch open. The doctor looks at his work and says, it's nearly right. And then he gives it this. Any progressive series can be converted into binary notation. If you take the sum of the integrants and express the results as a power series, then the indices show the basic binary blocks. Mark's probably Japanese to me, mate. You know, <laughs> my, my, I've said that, and my eyes have glazed over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also, as well, this is where <laughs> the doctor tells him how to do it. Says, "But I really wouldn't." It's like, yeah. So why tell him? You, you've just dangled the carrot. Oh, uh, see, this is an issue I have uh, with certain certain stories in Doctor Who, New Who, Classic Who, whatever. And it happens here. These people are there to the the three main uh, bad guys, the three villains of the piece: Klee, Kaftan. Well, it's Klee and Kaftan. Tobin is just the, their their assistant, isn't he? He just kind of follows orders and so on. So the two main villains of the piece are there to revive the Cybermen and get them to help out, you know, usual nonsense, conquering the world, as everyone seems to want to do all the time. I mean, it's not that nice here. I don't know why everyone's that bothered, but okay. But, you know, it's <laughs> but it can be avoided because, I mean, don't get me wrong, it would make for a much shorter story. But if they just, oh, we can't go in there because the hatch is locked, the Doctor just goes, yeah, sound, you're right. Off we go then, and everyone just goes home. If if the doctor just shut the f- <laughs> this one occasion, yeah, 
Yeah, it's like all of this nonsense that follows could be avoided. But he's got to, you know, he's got to say, oh, well, we can do this, this, and this. But I wouldn't if I were you. So well, don't freaking tell him then. I think it goes a bit deeper than that. That I think the doctor wants to know what's down there because he, he decides to stay purely because it's Cybermen. Mm. The yeah, that's true. Has, yeah. The, the doctor has to know what's down there in order to be able to stop it if it's a threat of the Cybermen coming back. The one way to guarantee that Klieg will follow his instructions is to tell him not to do it. Because Klieg, as we see later on, is a very intelligent man. Yeah. Hyper-intelligent, and he knows it. As soon as you tell him not to do something, he'll do it. But he may also have rejected the doctor's uh, the doctor's logic and the doctor's reasoning because he, yeah, thinks he, because he thinks he's so much better. Yeah, he, again, it's the smartest man in the room aspect, isn't it? That sort of chip-on-your-shoulder kind of attitude to, to some of these characters, I guess. Mm. Oh, Cleg and the Doctor are, are, are at it for the whole serial. They're mm. just, they're just, for lack of a better term, they're just swinging their, their intelligence dicks around and <laughs> trying to see who's his bigger, to be quite frank. <laughs> intelligence dicks, amazing. <laughs> uh, eventually we get the hatch open, people all pile down there to see what's going on and that's when we come across the the actual tomb of the Cyberman or the honeycomb as somebody refers to it as well don't they and it's it is all, yeah it's all sectioned off like almost like a beehive i guess but it's all frozen and Cleek starts t- tinkering with another control panel to unfreeze it but to me for this for, for when this was 55 years ago the effects here i quite enjoyed watching the ice sort of disappear from what is obviously a model of this, this thing, the ice kind of disappearing from it. And then when they stopped him and reversed it, the ice built back up again before he reversed it again. And it built back down. I I quite enjoyed that. I thought that looked quite good. Yeah, I did. It was um, again, pleasantly surprising. Um, I really like the use of, of models and miniatures for practical effects. It's Mm. something that was really prevalent. uh, Probably. I think I mentioned this before, really prevalent in the, original Star Wars trilogy before the before they CGI'd all over the top of it. The use yeah. of models there was really good. If if your budget is big enough, it looks fantastic. Obviously the budget in here wasn't massive, but it still looked really good. And, and even with the Cybermen emerging from the uh, the pods, as it were, um, and then they just reversed the footage. So mm. the Cybermen were like being trapped back in the pods. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that worked really well. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, and that is... I'll be straight up honest with you now. That's why I picked this this serial for us to go back and watch. I wanted to go back to, for want of a better term, the black and white era this week mm. after seeing uh, Dalek and seeing a Tom Baker story. I wanted to go back and watch something right back, way back when. And I didn't want to do another Dalek story. We just done a couple of those. So a Cyberman story kind of stood out. And this one, I thought that iconic moment of the Cybermen coming out of the team, splitting out of their pods. It, it's replayed all the time whenever mm. there's any Doctor Who documentaries or any, anything like that. And I remember it being really spectacular when I was younger, watching back on an old VHS tape. So what I did was I bought it up on my phone, on YouTube, this scene, and I got my two youngest daughters to sit down and watch it independently. So I didn't want the one to lead the other or whatever. So I sat down with my one daughter who's 14, very, very nearly 15. And my youngest daughter who has just turned 12 in the last couple of weeks, my 15 year old effectively in a couple of weeks time, 
she said she could understand why somebody would have been scared of this when everyone had black and white television. Mm. But now she said it just looks really, really old. Yeah. So I can understand where she's coming from with that, with 2022 20, eyes, a 15 year old looking at that. But interestingly, my youngest, the, the 12 year old, she actually said that it was really creepy. And the fact that it was in black and white and the fact that they all sort of start marching towards the camera and the music playing is a bit clunky and a bit off. And Charlie, my youngest, said it was really, really creepy bit of footage. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, and she's right. Well, both 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 your girls are right with the with that sort of analysis. But yeah, I thought the same thing. Going back to when the the side the fake sort of the, the model sideman came out of the wall and the first part of the serial ends with a close up on the sideman face. Mm. You can look at it and say, Well, that looks shit. But you actually <laughs> But, no, you say what you right. say, say. what you really mean, Dan. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but when you actually when it lingers on the image for a while, and you see like the hollow dead eyes, and just there, there is nothing mm. there. That there's no bells and whistles. It's not like the modern Cybermen, where you can see like if it's a cyber controller, it's got this like jet black bit with a hole in that you can see mm. his brain and things like that. It is just blank and nothing and like one of those you know, like a creepy model or puppet or something yeah and then when they are like that and moving towards you and the bodies are just sort of sleek shimmery obviously great because it's black and white but you, you you can sort of tell roughly looking at it that you would expect them to be metal yeah they are awful and then the voice the voices when they finally speak it's yeah, back then that would have been scary. Nowadays, it just reminds me of when Kane was using the voice box in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I know what yeah, you mean. They, they, these things are weird, and I can fully understand why. In 1967, people were scared of these things. And I'll tell you what, you're mentioning about the, the eyes and the face and so on. That's something else Charlie actually pointed out last night as well when I got to sit down and watch, watch the footage. She said like the face just being blank is the word she used, and then just black eyes with nothing there she said makes them even creepier and she's right it is that kind of emotionless blank expression isn't it yeah as it should be for a side mm. they have had all, all the emotion removed but it's just reminding me if this is going to be another classic one where you've not seen it have you seen the movie the strangers no of course you haven't. I don't know why I ask. <laughs> <laughs> people know if people are listening to uh, if this is your first episode of the Doctor Who pod, you need to go back and listen to our, our first couple to appreciate that I've not seen anything ever. So, <laughs> except Doctor Who and Barry Windham matches <laughs> and quantum and quantum leap. Quantum yeah, leap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, anyway, this one called the Strange. The whole it's home. It's essentially a home invasion horror film. Okay. This this couple have been to a wedding. They've got somewhere booked out. This guy's decked it all out romantic because he's going to propose. He's proposed at the wedding and she said no. So it's all really awkward. But these three people in masks have decided that this is the house they're going to raid tonight, terrorise the people and murder them. And they wear masks throughout the whole thing. And okay. there's, it's, it's a family of people. So it's a bloke, an older woman and... Uh, who you're led to believe is a like a late teenage late teenage years girl, but the bloke is wearing a, a ragged suit and a like a, a hessian sack over his head, 
Right. It's just got two eye holes cut into it and just a straight line across the mouth. And there's a scene... blank. Yeah. There's a scene where Liv Tyler is... uh, Because Liv Tyler's the female lead in the movie. She's in the kitchen. He's got... The fella's gone out for a drive and get a pack of cigarettes and all that because it's all really awkward between them. She's just stood there in the kitchen drinking a glass of water thinking, oh, God, what have I done? And you just see this guy walk into the house behind her. It's a great shot. It's like this open plan kitchen and living room. Okay. And you just see him just out of the shadows, just stood there staring at her with his sack on his head and the blank emotionless mm-hmm. eyes and all that. And then something, you know, something makes, makes a turn around. And she turns around and he's gone. Right. Okay. So that's, simple, but so effective, yeah. isn't it? And that's, that's why these Cybermen are scary. That exact yeah. same reason, that blankness. Yeah, again, the ages of my two girls that I showed the footage to, I wonder if that has some, takes something into effect as well. Because obviously, Liv, my middle daughter, she's nearly 15. Charlie is just turned 12. So there's potentially, you know, there's a few years between them. And the difference in opinion was quite, quite broad, to be fair. So I wonder if that is the age bracket, sort of Charlie's age is, is the sort of the time that you are scared and the proverbial hiding behind the sofa kind of thing. Yeah. I think speaking from experience, you you obviously grow up a lot between the ages of 12 and 15 as well. Mm. Like I remember so I'd been 12 in about 2001. I was a lot more scared of things when I was sort of 11, 10 by 12, yeah. I was sort of coming around to the idea of horror movies and, and scary stuff and, and sort of getting the adrenaline rush from it rather than the actual, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's maybe more of the um, more of the issue. Obviously, when by the time you get to 15, just sort of mentally got a better grasp on a lot of things and yeah. you're a bit more wise to how things work. It's, it's, you probably seen more as well. To be fair, aren't you? You probably, you probably yeah, exactly. seen more. Yeah, mm. exactly. So, but it is really interesting that the uh, that the both came out with those uh, with those analyses. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was really good. Yeah. Effectively, now we're coming to the end of episode two. The Cybermen who are climbing out of their pods revive the Cyber Controller, don't they? And get, he's got his own special pod tucked away elsewhere. He, just, he's, <laughs> he, was, he's, he was hiding in a fridge. He was doing a bunch yeah, of he's, <laughs> he, he's not slumming it with his mates. He's got his own special pod elsewhere, isn't he? And um, the Cyber Controller comes out and, and that kind of sees off episode two. But... I mean, I'll ask. I'll ask the question, Dan. To be fair, so far, episode one and two. Where are your thoughts with regards to this? Thought we're halfway through. Where are your thoughts with regards to this? This serial up to this point. At this point, I was thinking, okay, there's there's enough to be getting on with here. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It was very obvious who the bad guys were and what their intentions would be earlier on. But yeah, I, I tried to ignore that because, again, I've seen a lot of. You know, a lot of these stories are going to be quote-unquote trophy, but it's because these were the originators in many ways. You know, <laughs> yeah. these gave rise to the stereotype story. But there was a lot of, yeah, like I said, there were, you know, the, it was telegraphed who Kaftan and Klieg were, you know, what their intentions were and who was going to be, a, who was going to be, you know, you knew, you knew Hopper was going to be a dismissive knob later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and all the rest. And just the stupidity of Victoria putting the Cybermat in a bag. Mm. Yeah, well, why? Why the hell? Oh. So there were, there were bits that sort of 
took me out of it, but there was more than enough to be to be getting on with. So I thought, I'll see where this goes. It, it's going to be all right, I think. Okay. See, the first two episodes for me, I really enjoyed. There was the, the suspense of what's going to happen, who are these people, uh, and the whole going down the hatch and the sidemen are coming out. And, and it's making me want to watch more and more and more, especially how this, the, the each episode ends with the proverbial mm. cliffhanger. It's making me look at what's coming next. The reason I ask that question now at this stage is because the next two episodes, they completely lost me. There was still yeah, enough there right. for me to, yeah, there was still enough there for me to enjoy. Uh, and it did tie up a lot of the loose ends for the story and so on, of course, but it just kind of, the, the, there are aspects of quite poor acting throughout this whole serial. Mm. They got worse in the, in the later two episodes. And I, th- I think part of that was potentially due to the story from here sort of, wandering a little bit mm. it doesn't these this first two episodes while i say points have been you know predictable or anything like at least it was it was tight it moved along at a fair clip and we got to where we knew it was you know, we got to where we knew it was going but it did it well it did it fine you know from here it's all well we need to get out oh wait no we don't we need to get down oh wait they've got a weapon oh no wait i've got a better weapon Let's go. Let's go into this room. Let's go into that room. It's a bit like playing a video game where you start a new sort of quest or a new story, and it just sends you back to places you've already seen, just to fetch things and bring them back. Like Mario Brothers, the princess is not in this castle; she's in another castle, and you got to go all again. A little bit, yeah, because it's just like okay, we're up here now. Here's a here's the side of that's okay but now Cleeg's got a gun or you know it's, it just mm. it just felt it didn't feel as sort of cohesive as the first two if you like yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense no no you're, you're right it, it seems like there was there's almost like a lot of things happened but nothing of actual substance really happened it seems oh, like everyone was very busy there's a lot of stuff going on but then when you broke it down and you actually look at the plot of the whole story a lot of the stuff that went on just didn't really affect the main plot line as much. I've just realised it's another serial, uh, the second one in a row for Old Who, that we're looking at where a lot of things have happened and there's been a lot of death and the result has just been that they've been shutting, that they've been shutting off a, a stone door. <laughs> yeah. I'm just locking something in somewhere. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Don't oh, open dear. the door. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we, we basically get the, the situation where uh, Toberman is captured by the Cybermen as well. Uh, as we sort of yeah. go through the last two episodes, he's then getting converted or mind controlled to a degree with some wibbly wobbly lines from the Cyber Controller's head to his I head. Really, I really like them. Yeah, I, I love the innocence of it, man. The fact that it was, it was, it's obviously incredibly old television. And I, I thought it was great. I, I, you know, I thought it didn't it didn't offend me at all. The cyber mats, on the other hand, I looked at them and I thought they're a bit. They look naff. Let's be honest. They, they look like somebody painted dog turd silver. Yeah, yeah. And then they just roll around. You know. Apparently, but, um, the the cyber mats they had several different ones because they had a couple that were remote controlled. Hmm. They had a couple that were wind up the old clockwork. So you wind them up, put them down, let go, and they shoot off. <laughs> and then you had then you had a couple that were literally just on wheels and they'd say action and just roll them across the screen. And Victoria, 
yeah, yeah. The the actress who played Victoria, Deborah Watling, she genuinely didn't like these things because they would scurry around her feet. So when they weren't filming and they, and there was a break and but they were still on set, they used to wind her up and get the radio controlled um, <laughs> cyber mats just to scurry around her feet while she's trying to have a cup of tea or something. You know? <laughs> oh, that's rotten. That is my fun, mean. Fun, funny, but wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, just going back to the Cybermen quickly, we're talking about things that look good or don't look good. The Cybermen themselves look good. The Cyber Controller looked less scary because he had a badly drawn testicle for a head. Yeah. He, he, yeah. I, I got a note here saying the same thing, basically. The Cybermen, they look creepy. They look, you can imagine at the time being scared of them when you're a kid in 67. The Cyber Controller. Yeah, he looks a bit. He's ropey as hell, isn't he? Really, let's be fair. It, it's um, it's it's Cyberman meets uh, the Coneheads. If you, yeah. <laughs> it's not seen look, that, is it? <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, to be honest, I've not seen it, but I know what you're referring to. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen pictures. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we then get a, a few moments where. The, the, the people are getting themselves in trouble and having to be rescued and so on. Um, Captain Hopper rescues people with some smoke bombs, which apparently send Cybermen into some kind of crazy, loopy... It, it, they don't quite know. It's almost like they're dancing at one stage when the smoke bombs are going off. It's like they're in you know, a, a very misty nightclub, these Cybermen. I thought, it was just the, I thought it was just because they couldn't see. <laughs> no, they're just bumping around all over the place. And it's like, not, not being funny, but... You'd think they'd just stand still, wait for the smoke to clear, wouldn't you? But they're kind of all going a bit funny. And I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, I don't quite understand why the smoke has had that much effect on the Cybermen. It came, it came as a bit much. But then you get the awesome line from Captain Hopper and his dreadful, dreadful American accent that he's putting on. <laughs> uh, Come on, you guys! As because he's getting cross, so it's like everyone should just run with me. Let's go! <laughs> you know, it was so bad. Yeah. Uh- and the character's a douchebag as well, yeah. so it really didn't yeah, help. It's exactly. it, it, it one of those guys, one of those guys who you're looking at and just going, "Just get off my screen, you're a tit." Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, Victoria, Victoria repeatedly asks them not to call her Vic. Yeah, and they just keep going. Just call her Victoria, you cock. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, though, if somebody said to me, "Don't call me Vic," I'd, I'd end up just doing it, not to be spiteful, but it's just kind of, just kind of what happens. I got a friend called Catherine. She hates it when I call her calf. But I've known her since I was about six or seven, and I've always called her calf. And it's just the, the way my mind works. And she constantly tells me, don't call me that. But I just still do. And I don't mean to do it, but it just kind of comes out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I kind of get that. But it is natural to sort of shorten people's names to try and sort of, suppose it's a term of endearment or to ingratiate yourself to them and, and stuff like mm. that. But when it's somebody you've literally known for about three hours. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that, that's something else as well. That you, you mentioned there. That's that's a really good point, Dan. Saying like he's known them, he's known them about three hours. There's a scene here where the doctor sits down and has a chat with Victoria because obviously her dad was killed by the Daleks in the previous serial, and that's why she's joined the TARDIS and so on. And it's supposed to be this heartwarming scene. And there were moments that were absolutely lovely. Don't get me wrong. And Triton is brilliant in this, but he starts off by saying to her do you like, effectively he's asking her, do you like traveling with us? And it's like, she's been with you like a day. <laughs> and and in that day, all she's seen is people dying. Probably a bit of a touchy subject right at this moment, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not the, um, 
it's not the most nuanced way to start that conversation. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, he obviously wants to sit down and talk about this and, and have what he, what he feels is a necessary conversation. It is a necessary mm. conversation because there's been a lot of shit go down. Yeah, and but, she has literally just literally lost her lost her dad, and now she's in a blue box, bombing around all over the place with with, with two people she doesn't really know. Yeah, so he, but at least it's showing that he he ha, you know he's worried about her and he, he's in a way trying to care for her. Mm. Um, yeah, even if he's gone a really uh, a really clumsy, <laughs> gone about it a really clumsy way of showing it. But in, like, uh, in, in that time though, that would have been classed as as. A real sensitive, um, you know, real sensitive character yeah. with the doctor, <laughs> and and the attitude towards women as well in, in this this serial, I suppose, probably comes. You need to take that into consideration when they have this conversation because right from the very beginning they're saying, "Oh, the women should stay here when they're going to go and explore," uh, and so they're not welcomed on these expeditions because they might be a bit dangerous for the lady folk. You know, it's. <laughs> Oh, the, the, these dainty, gentle flowers will never survive. And it's yeah, exactly, like, mate. And then Kafti, but you've got Kaf down there who's like working behind the scenes and one of the most dangerous people in the show. Yeah. You've got Victoria there who is a little bit damsel in distressy at times, but there's a bit more about her than she lets on initially. And yeah. It's, you know, especially when she's standing up to Hopper and the other sort of, I suppose, soldiers, if if you like, mercenaries. I guess so, yeah. They might, I suppose they are soldiers, aren't they? I mean, they've got ranks, haven't they? Captains and, and so on, so... Oh, speaking of those, I'm amazed it took me this long to bring this guy up. For me, the best character, aside from the Doctor and the companions and so on, if you're looking at the the, the extra cast, the additional cast members who are in, in this, the best character for me in this serial is Jim, Jim Callum. This guy is a legend because he just does not care. He is so chill. Or he's, he's got Captain Hopper going, hey, what's in these bombs? And he just looks at him, shrugs and goes, I don't know, smoke. (laughs) (laughs) He just doesn't give a shit. (laughs) And he's like, he's like, I'll give them to me. I need them to go and go and tackle the Cybermen. And he's getting them out of the bag. And and Captain Hopper's going, come on, man, hurry up. And Jim almost goes slower and almost shrugs. (laughs) He just doesn't care. When the Cybermen first come out of the hatch and, and, um, sorry, first come out of the tomb. And so everyone's panicking and all that. If you look and actually just focus on him, I don't even think he's looking in the right direction. He's just kind of just chi- <laughs> he's just kind of just chilling out in the background. <laughs> he's, I, he's, I didn't I didn't notice any of that. I'm gonna have to actually have to go back and have a look at it now because that sounds just, brilliant. It's he, just he's either one liners. He's just he's just like literally his, his whole his whole character spends the whole time just going, meh. <laughs> you know. <it's, laughs> now the question is that was that the way it was written, or could he just not be asked? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I Who like to think that, that. I like to think that that was his own spin on it. The actor bought that himself. Yeah, I, I like to think that he just thought Cybermen. I ain't worried about them. <laughs> too much, too much screaming and hollering around. You know, we're in the tomb of the Cybermen. Did you expect it to be full of rather than pixie dust and farts? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's in these bombs? I don't know smoke. <laughs> 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 That's right. They're smoke bombs, and they make the Cybermen dance. All right, <laughs> it's cyber dancing smoke. Oh, that's it. That's it. The special smoke that makes the Cybermen dance. Uh, I suppose we we kind of just unless there's anything else you want to particularly touch upon, Dan. We we kind of come to the end of of the serial, don't we? And and how the Doctor yeah. and 
and old relaxed gym and uh, everyone else kind of solves the issue, I guess. There's one thing I want to touch on, and it's an exchange that the doctor had with Cleek uh, the second time they went down into the um, down into the into the hatch, because at this okay. point, Cleek they think has been battered to death by I think Turboman or by no sorry by the Cyberman or something I can't remember which one, hmm. but either way, Cleek's incapacitated, and then he manages to nick a, nick the cyber gun and sneak down the hatch after the doctor and Jamie. And they stood there and told him he's still trying to bargain with the cyber controller. Yeah. And he gives it, they have this great exchange where Cleek's saying, yours is the privilege to witness for the first time the union between mass power and my absolute intelligence. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um, and the doctor kind of agrees, saying, such a combination of intelligence and power, you'd, make a, you'd, be, you'd be formidable indeed. Why, you could be commander of the universe with your brilliance, makes the imagination real with the possibilities, really over-egging the pudding with it. Yeah. And then Cleek's just sort of stood there quite happily having his ego strokes and saying, oh, well, if, if, you, if I'd only known you shared my imagination, Doctor, you might have even worked for me. And this is where you see Patrick Troughton's just got amazing facial expressions as he's appearing to work this out in his head. And just be like, come round to Cleek's way of thinking. Yeah. And, you know, perhaps it's not too late. And Jamie's arguing with him. It's like, don't you see what this is going to mean, mean to all the people who serve Cleek, the all-powerful? <laughs> no country, no person would dare to have a single thought that was not your own. Eric Cleeg's own conception of the way of life and giving it all that and obviously taking the piss and just really going hard on it just to be a yeah. dick. <laughs> but Cleeg's eating it all. He's like, yes, yes, you're right, master of the world. And Doctor just goes, well, now I know you're mad. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, <laughs> just brilliant, isn't it? And whilst all get... this is going on, all, all, all the dramatics and, and this this interaction, Jim's just curled up in the corner on a little kip, I expect. You know, <laughs> he's just chilling out. <laughs> he's, he's just gone for a whiz. <laughs> yeah, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can make an icicle. <laughs> but, um, um, one last thing as well, we, uh, Victoria gets her, gets the final word with Captain Hopper, right. which I really liked. Um, Hopper doesn't want to go down into the hatch again because he's just come back from... Uh, sorting the ship out yeah. and she says uh, Victoria just says to, don't worry Captain it's com- comforting to know we have your superior strength to call on should we need it just, be- <laughs> just completely mugs him off doesn't she yeah just like that you toss her <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> basically we get another example of how sometimes with Doctor Who it's almost like the Doctor being there isn't always necessary because the Cybermen actually take themselves back off to the tomb and refreeze themselves, effectively, to recharge their batteries. They're all running low on power, they say. So they just totter off and take themselves away, rather than having to be dealt with by anybody in particular, don't they? Was that how we ended? That's how the, Dalek, that's the Daleks listen to me. What a prat. That's how the Cybermen kind of went back into their tomb, isn't it? So well, um, I saw because we saw. I know that um, the Cybermen effectively the strangle Cleek to death, hmm. and then Toberman's fighting with the Cybermen, and all of that. Toberman smashes one of them through the chest. Yeah, that must yeah. be it. Yeah, they just sort of yeah. The Cybermen go. The Cybermen go back into the tomb to recharge because they're all running low on power. Uh, the, yeah, that's the Cyber leader. Yeah, the Cyber leader is the only one who doesn't do this. He's in the first room with the hatch, basically, still. Yeah. And right. the doctor electrifies 
certain controls and certain doors to make sure nobody else can come down and revive the Cybermen once again. But a big thing I've got with this is they use the same footage, as you mentioned earlier, Dan, the same footage of the Cybermen leaving the tomb that I showed my daughters that was creepy and, and, and very atmospheric and so on. They just played that backwards to show them going back into the tomb. So what you get is effectively 10 silver killer robots backing up ass first into these little... <laughs> little <laughs> they're all just going in butt first, you know? <laughs> Well, how else are you going to get in it? That's where the um, that's where the rear view parking sensors are on Cybermen. Yeah, yeah. The beep, beep, beep. Yeah. <laughs> Cyberman is reversing. Beep, beep. <laughs> oh, uh, effectively, the Doctor thinks that everything's been took care of, but the cyber controller is still on the loose. They outfox him, Jamie and the Doctor, by running in different directions very, very quickly. Apparently, the Cyberman, the Cyber Controller, can't deal with that. That uh, confused him greatly. Two two different directions is a lot to a lot to contemplate. Yeah, yeah, and he did a kind of a funny little pirouette thing of not really knowing which way to go, didn't he? And, the, <laughs> and uh, Jamie escaped to the outside. They're trying to shut the doors again and shut the Cyber Controller in there but they, they're struggling to shut the doors because they're so big and heavy. So Toberman basically sacrifices himself, doesn't he? He takes the electric yeah. shock to close and saying, you're evil, you must stay there or, or, or something along those lines. The cyber controller gets a shock on the other side of the door. Toberman gets effectively killed on our side of the door, so to speak. Mm. And that's kind of it. Everyone just sort of goes, right, okay, bye then. And everyone it just totters off. It was a, it was a funny thing with Tobin. There was a, there was a lot more to him than he ever got a chance to express, because after mm. the doctor broke his brainwashing, um, you know the, the mind control or whatever it was of the of the Cybermen, um, it obviously became internalised with Tobin that the Cybermen are evil. But then when he's topside again, Kaftan gets shot. You actually see him sat there, just like cradling a body. Yeah. So we, and it's the only sort of tangible reaction to anybody dying that we see, in, apart from you know screams and examining bodies. It's the only sign that anybody in this series actually cares about anybody else. Yeah. Until yeah, he's uh, holding her, and then he he gets some badass final words. Also, this guy can beat a Cyberman to death with his bare hands. Mm. That is cool. <laughs> that yeah, is very he's, cool. A, he's, he's a beast, isn't he, this fella? Um, <laughs> but it's when he's shutting the door and his last words uh, they shall never pass Toberman yeah it's Oomph. brilliant oh that is so good isn't it that's a great moment yeah oh he was in um, another story as well as like an extra or a, a, a big strong fella um, mm. I think it was Terror of the Autons with John Pertwee he pops up in oh, at right. some point as well I think um, I'll have to look into that. And also the character Toberman, the reason he doesn't have much to say is is because he was originally written as a character who was deaf. Okay. So that was kind of why he was very limited with regards to speech and interactions and so on. But that part of his character got dropped. Uh, I'm not 100% sure of the reasons, but they dropped that aspect of his character but didn't write much for him. But uh, to, me, mm. to me, it kind of works. Yeah. Um, well, the, the whole silent muscle character's pretty classic anyway isn't it yeah. so i can understand yeah. that you you don't necessarily need to to hear a lot from him um and in fact i think he he, he says a lot more by not saying anything he's then you know using body language and mm. and, and his actual actions 
to tell the story of the character. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Everyone kind of, well, everyone who has survived kind of just goes their separate ways, don't they? The, the rocket, as the captain keeps referring to it, referring to it as, is ready to go. Those yeah. who survived the expedition get back on the rocket. The Doctor, Jamie, and uh, Victoria head back to the TARDIS, and that's that's kind of it. Everyone literally just goes, "Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, bye." And, and they they leave Tobman's body in yeah, front just, of the doors, just there. And a Cybermat comes around the corner and starts ferreting around it. So obviously, that's not the end of the Cyberman at all, is it? No, it's uh, and again, it's it's an obvious bit of foreshadowing, but I think it's kind of necessary for bringing the Cybermen back later on. Mm. Um, really, really makes a shame of Tubman's sacrifice. You know, yeah. These people, these people think so little of him they couldn't, they couldn't even give him a burial. And yeah. you know, as well as all the other people inside, where they've just left, they basically left corpses where they fell. <laughs> yeah, but the Cybermats will deal with that, won't they? When they're nipping around doing their bit of spring cleaning and whatever, they'll just clear off the bodies and. Tidy uh, it up, for, I guess. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, Dan, your first proper, well, your first Patrick Triton story, your first Doctor Who serial, full serial in in black and white. Uh, what what are your overall thoughts then? I very much enjoy Patrick Triton as the Doctor. Um, I could, just can't praise him enough. You know that switch from cheeky chappy to hyper intelligent. I want to use the phrase ass kicker, but he doesn't actually kick any ass. He just he just mm. figures it all out. He's very, you know, obviously very calm under pressure and all that. And his, his facial expressions at one point they say he's an you know knew he was an archaeologist. And he just how can you tell? And he has that, that <laughs> little little grin on his face. Uh, so yeah, very much enjoyed Patrick Troughton as the as the Doctor. I don't think this was the strongest serial ever, but it was enjoyable, and that's the main thing. I, I would. I would I won't rush to watch it again, but I'd never be bothered by watching it again. I think is is the best way I can yeah. say it. It's not it's not bad by any means. It's just not my favourite. When I say it's like a six, six and a half out of ten, that yeah. still means it's above average. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the way I'm looking I, at it. I mean for me I I don't know if I'd seen this all the way through before. Um, or if I'd seen it when I was much younger in, in a rerun or on a VHS tape when I used to watch it by my friend's house. There are a lot of moments in this that I do remember. So I'm assuming I have seen this before way back when. The good parts in this, to me, are very good. The iconic scene with the, the Cybermen coming out the tomb and so on. The ending with Toberman delivering that brilliant line that, that, that you put forward there, Dan, as well. The, the good parts are outstanding. The parts that aren't so great, they are quite ropey for me some of the effects, some of the some of the stage sets and so on. Now, I know we say it's of its time and we need to kind of look past that to enjoy the stories, but sometimes when it's so much in your face, it's difficult to do that altogether. Mm. But on the whole, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I think I think my sentiments pretty much echo yours, to be honest. It was, it was decent enough, but I wouldn't rush back, if that makes sense. Yeah. You're telling me the, uh, the, the Cyberman... Uh, cutouts on the on the wall were doing it for you i want one of those <laughs> i want one of those i was talking to my wife about something similar the other day actually there was um something online you know you know when you um you've been on ebay or, you, or amazon or whatever and it starts popping up on your on your facebook or on your internet searches saying what about this what do you think of this there was a transfer for um the front door of the tardis 
that you can put on the front door of your house. Oh. And I was like, that's amazing. I'm going to do that. And the wife was like, if I come home from seeing my mum or seeing my mates and I've got the TARDIS's front door, I will go spare. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, but once it's on there, she'll calm down eventually. <laughs> <won't she?" laughs> you know? You maybe have to, maybe have to just like start small. Maybe just do like the bedroom door. Mm. Yeah. I also had... doors. <gasps> Oh, no. Do it on the bathroom door and then you can call it a TARDIS. Oh, brilliant. Dr. Pill and the Turnus. Yeah. <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon Sharon will go for that. You reckon? No. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm always as well watching, uh, I can never actually afford to get one, but I'm always watching like full-size Daleks on eBay and uh, TARDIS building kits and to put in the garden and stuff. Um, my house, as, as mentioned on, on previous podcasts I've done, my house is incredibly small, but I'm sure I could find room in my, in my house for a full-size Dalek. I know I could. You could sleep in it. Yeah, just sleep stood up. Like, yeah. You know, I'm sure Jim would have managed. <laughs> <laughs> Where there's a uh, way, you can do exactly, it. Mate. I exactly, mate. It's nice that you got faith in me. Okay. <laughs> so then, as is the way the show runs, uh, I picked this week's classic Who story. So for next week's look back next week's review i suppose for want of a better term uh mr griffin you pick this new who don't you i do and it was it's been a bit of a struggle i put it out on twitter um, yeah i saw yeah that you I, had a I, massive I, short yeah. yeah yeah it's a long list of, <laughs> <laughs> it's a long list of episodes um i think it was something like 15 for tenant 14 for smith and 13 for capaldi and there are a few in there that i consider to be like upper echelon good that I know I want to prioritise. Okay. But because I can't figure them out, you know, I can't figure out the order and I can't figure out which one I want to prioritise for who. And I, I didn't want to go straight from Eccleston to Tennant mm. because it's a bit too linear, but then yeah. there's too many Smith episodes and there's too many Capaldi episodes or, you know, one of the ones for Capaldi is like a three-part that then up taking us three hours of watching time, let alone making notes and then talking about. So I've decided to go for Jodie Whittaker. Oh, okay. Because if you me, say the flux, <laughs> after just saying a three-part Capaldi story is too much, but we're going to look at the flux. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to you, mate. I wouldn't do that to you. Um, I like the flux, but it's too much, too much to do in one podcast. Um, there is a clear episode of Whitaker's that is just far and away above almost anything else in her run as Doctor Who. As the, as the Doctor, sorry. I'm intrigued. And as I mentioned before, I mentioned a couple of times that I'm into my horror movies, and that was for a reason. We are going to the haunting of Villa Diodati. The haunting of Villa... Say that again, sorry. Villa Diodati. Villa Diodati. D-I-O-D-A-T-I. Okay. I will have seen this. But I don't remember that at all. It's amazing. Okay. <laughs> it's genuinely I I love this episode. Is it you say you so say much. it's inspired by the horror your love of horror films? Is it scary, Dan? Is it something I can go downstairs now and watch at ten o'clock at night, or have I got to put a cartoon on afterwards? Um, <laughs> it depends how much of a wimp you are. <laughs> 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 no, it's, there, there are horror elements to it, um, very much so. It's tense. There's a lot of it is creepy, and 
it uses elements from classic horror literature. Right, you'll, okay. You'll, under, you'll understand what I mean by that as soon as you... About five minutes into the episode. <laughs> right. Okay. But yeah, so we're, going, we're going there. I, because I've watched, I must have watched this episode at least five times since it aired, which wasn't that long ago with it being Jodie Whittaker. Mm. Um, yeah, clear, just for me, far and away, Jodie Whittaker's best work. Okay, brilliant stuff. No, no, I'm really intrigued. I'm really looking forward to that. When you were talking about Tenant and X amount of episodes and Capaldi three-parters and all this sort of stuff, Jodie Whittaker didn't even enter my mind as where we, we could potentially be going next week. So, no, that's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to that. And, and as part of that episode next week as well, I think it would be uh, it would be unjust of us if we didn't have the discussion about the Doctor being played by a lady, uh, the the companions Bradley Walsh and so on, mm. famous for other things, and then popping up on Doctor Who uh, and all that kind of. I suppose I don't know if controversy is the right word, but the conversations that were had when Jodie Whittaker was first cast and so on. I think that would be quite an interesting discussion for us next week as well, Dan. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I don't think you can talk about Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor without bringing that into it, because it divided opinion. Um, mm. A lot of people seemed very concerned about what this alien who's got two hearts and no traditional gender as we know it, uh, very concerned about what they had in their pants. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it's a, yeah, it's going to be an interesting chat, I think, my friend. Right, okay then, so there we go. That is what we will be looking at next week, the Jodie Whittaker episode. Uh, you're going to have to say this again for me, my friend, I'm going to struggle with that word. <laughs> the Haunting <laughs> of Villa Diodati. There we go, that's what we will be looking at next week. Okie doke. Dan, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online and your other content as well, please? Uh, yep, you can find me uh, on Twitter at DanGriffin21, where I'll be tweeting about uh, movies that are 25 years out of date, wrestling that's a minimum of six weeks out of date, and episodes of Doctor Who that we've all watched a million times before. Uh, you can find me uh, in the podcast world on Unbooking the Territory, uh, which you can find on Twitter at UTT Podcast. Uh, if you search for Unbooking the Territory or UTT Podcast on your podcast app of choice you'll find us there as well that's myself and utt rob uh, going through the uh, the first and last of professional wrestling we have a side project called unbooking the tankatory uh, which is chatting the uh, the career of tank abbott in professional wrestling i still don't know how we got there but it's a lot of fun it is such um, a random thing mate it really is <laughs> it, it, it was from season one of utt where we're watching wcw in 2000 and realizing that Actually, some of these some of these characters were were pretty good, and some of the plans that they had for them they ultimately went nowhere. It's interesting to find out how they got there, and Tank Abbott was one of them. So, right, fair it enough. Could been, it could have easily been Crowbar or David Flair. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, and just finally, you can also find me on the monthly pay per view reviews uh, on the That Nineties Wrestling Podcast uh, playlist on Primetime Conversations, who you can find on Twitter at Primetime Convos. Brilliant stuff. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words, where there's links to the Twitter pages and links directly to the other shows that I'm involved in there. Uh, the SJP pod, uh, Chain Wrestling, I do live on a Monday night on YouTube, Twitch, etc. via Radio Techers with our good friend Magsy. Um, 
all, all sorts there. If, you, if you're just looking for sci-fi and time travel discussions, there's the waiting room as well at waiting room underscore on Twitter that I do with our good friend, Benny, uh, looking at quantum leap episode by episode. We've just finished season one. Uh, first nine episodes are available via radio techers, but again, all these shows and links can be found by simply searching my Twitter and seeing what I share on there. So that's at SJP words for me. But most importantly, you can follow the show at the Doctor Who pod on Facebook and Twitter. And it's exactly as it sounds at T-H-E-D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who pod. Once again, I want to thank the musical genius that is Mr. Borna Mastozic on Twitter at Borna Matozic. Uh, online, YouTube, everywhere. Go and check out his his content, his fantastic uh, cover versions of all sorts of TV themes, especially stuff from Doctor Who and the world of science fiction. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Go and check that out there. Thank you so, so much, Borna, for letting us use your cover of the Doctor Who theme for our show. Uh, yeah, and once again, at the Doctor Who pod on Facebook and Twitter. Dan, I very much look forward to speaking to you again very soon about Jodie Whittaker and a female Doctor Who. I'm very excited, mate. I cannot wait for you to watch this episode. And if you feel like it, the, the next two do follow on from that. Okay. But it's not a true three-parter, if you take the right. meaning. You've got that episode, and then the other two were a two-parter to themselves. But if I think you'll want to watch those as well. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. I've got loads of time on my hands at the moment, mate. I, I, I just, just keep sending me stuff to watch. <laughs> right, Dan, thank you so, so much, buddy, and I will speak to you again very, very soon. Speak to you soon, mate. Bye-bye.